From the healing heart of Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland comes the Dr. Nina Show with a message of hope for people struggling with binge eating. She helps listeners break free from emotional eating by identifying their hidden triggers and provides a path for healing without dieting or focusing on food. Dr. Nina inspires us to enjoy the full spectrum of human experience we all deserve to live. Hi there. Welcome to the Dr. Nina Show. I am your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland. I'm a psychoanalyst specializing in eating disorders, especially binge eating disorder. And I am here to help you break free from binging, break free from body shame, and break free from diets that don't work. I want you to wake up and think about your day, not your diet. And the first step to creating a binge-free, happy life is to focus on what's eating at you, not on what you are eating. And I am here to help you identify that, process that, and just help you through every step of the way so that you can have the life that you want without worrying about counting calories, carbs, and fat grams, or any of the things that go along with uh, eating disorders or disordered eating or obsession about food or all the things, right? It's, 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 it's too much to bear. You've got other things on your mind. And I want you to think about that. Again, think about your day, not your diet. That's the goal. Um, so today I'm going to talk about how to be nicer to yourself. I'm going to discuss that, and then I'm going to open up the phone lines if you'd like to call in and talk with me. If you are on the Instagram live stream, just feel free to leave a comment at any time, and I will get to you. Okay, so the power of words. Words are powerful. Most of us are familiar with the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This suggests that verbal insults or criticism are not as damaging as actual physical blows. And you know what? That is absolutely, totally, and completely wrong. Physical pain can be short-lived, but the emotional damage, the emotional pain caused by words can have a lasting, lasting impact on your self-esteem, your self-image, your sense of security, and just your overall well-being. Words have the power to cause significant harm, and they have the power to cause long-term emotional trauma. They also have the power to lift us up and to heal, but we'll get to that later. Um, So how other people speak to us can harm our self-esteem and our self-worth. But our words to ourselves also have the power to either lift us up or pull us down. Our inner dialogue has a powerful effect on how we, how we think and how we feel about ourselves, which is why negative self-talk can be so, 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 so damaging. I think it deserves a few more so's there. Negative self-talk is, is, is destructive. Now, when we're self-critical, we feel terrible. And many of us turn to food to get away from that inner critic. Because eating, grazing, binging, any kind of emotional eating doesn't have to be a full-on binge, just some unhealthy, unhappy eating that is making you your eating to try to feel better. It provides temporary, temporary comfort. And it momentarily silences that harsh inner 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 dialogue, that harsh inner critic. So I'm going to discuss some strategies that can help you turn that inner critic into a friend. So food stops being both your best friend and your worst enemy. So the first thing is to become aware of your inner dialogue. In order to protect yourself against negative self-talk, you've got to be aware of what you're actually saying to yourself throughout the day. And sometimes I say to people, well, you know, it sounds like you're talking to yourself in a really harsh way. And they'll say, what do you mean talking to myself? I don't talk to myself. I'm not like a schizophrenic. (laughs) It's not, you don't have to be schizophrenic to talk to yourself. That schizophrenia is a whole other thing. The way we talk to ourselves is automatic. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it, but we are affected by it. So 
becoming aware of your inner dialogue is crucial. And that requires just stopping for a moment and really listening to what you tell yourself when you're faced with challenges, with disappointment, with frustration, with uh, sadness, anything that goes on that is troubling to you. How, what do you tell yourself about that? For example, lots of people who find themselves struggling with something, they'll tell themselves things like, oh, I am so stupid. Oh, I should be able to deal with this. I can't believe I am still at this place in my life, or I can't believe I don't know that, right? That's being harsh. Or sometimes they'll say, oh, you, you are so stupid right? Being harsh. That's harsh. That's mean. Would you say that to a friend? Would you say to a friend who's struggling? Oh, I can't believe you're struggling with that. I don't think so. So don't say it to yourself. Or if someone compliments you, do you respond with, oh, it's nothing special or, you know, "Mm, oh, this, you like this old thing? Or, oh, your hair looks great. Oh, no, no, it doesn't. Right. A lot of times we we just brush off compliments. We can't, we can't even take anything in that's good from other people. Or do you say, thank you. I appreciate that. And leave it there and take it in. Okay. Once you become aware of your inner dialogue, it's time to start replacing negative thoughts, mean thoughts, critical and judgmental thoughts with positive, constructive ones. And by the way, when I say positive, I don't mean dismissive. Positive means encouraging, helpful, supportive, not look on the bright side. It could be worse. You know, all of those kinds of things which sound positive, but actually are uh, dismissive in a sense. So another way that you can identify your inner critic is if you find yourself using the pronoun you when you talk to yourself. That's an indication that your inner critic is in charge of your thoughts. Hey, Christy. That's right. Christy on on Instagram is saying, yeah, we don't take it in. We don't bask in praise. And when we don't take in anything good, when when we don't take in anything good, when we don't fill up on acknowledgement, compliments, what have you, then guess what? We are empty. We're full of criticism. And then we might fill up on food instead. We might be able to take in sweet food. We might have ice cream or chocolates or cookies or things like that that are sweet because we can't take in the sweet words. Um. Erin is saying that when she talks nicely to herself, it's never in the first person. When you talk nicely to yourself, it's never in the first person. So it's a lot more powerful to say, um, like, like if you say something like, uh, wow, uh, you, 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 you did a great job and you're talking to yourself. When you say, wow, you did a great job. Now that sounds nice and it is nice. But when you say you did a good job, you, you did a great job, there's, an, there's a, a distance there. Then when you say, I did a good job, I did a good job, that you feel it, it's within. When you say, well, you you know, you did that well, you did a good job, it's, there's this distance, so it doesn't have the same power. So if you are talking to yourself in a critical way, this is what it sounds like. You know, if you, if you say things like, you're such an idiot to yourself, you're never going to succeed, they don't like you, 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 you. Mean, mean, mean. Okay, if that is familiar to you, consider this. Whose voice does that sound like? Whose voice is that? And before you say, well, it's my voice, I'm talking to myself. Again, not schizophrenic. Um, No, you learned that voice. Nobody is born talking to themselves in a mean way. Nobody. So ask yourself, Perhaps, you know, who talked to you in that way? Maybe you internalize that voice or who talked to other people that way, right? Maybe you learned it from that. Erin is also saying it feels weird and harder when I try to use I during compliments. Exactly. There's a part of you that's not taking it in. It's more familiar and more comfortable to compliment yourself from a distance. Why is that? 
Well, by the way, one one reason um, for why it's hard to take in compliments is this. I'm going to tell you the Aesop fable, the Aesop fable of the sour grapes. Here's the story of the sour grapes. And yes, Aaron and anyone listening, it probably exactly is something that you can relate to. Okay, so here's the thing. It involves a fox. I don't know why it involves a fox. It involves a fox. The fox is walking along, trotting along, and sees these incredibly delicious-looking grapes. They are just, they are delectable-looking. They are just so yummy-looking, and they are just out of reach. So this fox tries any which way to try to get to the grapes, leaps up, tries to climb the grapevine, does everything to try to get those grapes and eventually has to give up and it says, you know what? Those grapes are probably sour anyway. Pfft, who needs them? Okay, so why am I sharing this story and what does it have to do with why it's so hard to take in a compliment from others or from yourself? Because when we want something, so this, this is an allegory, the sour grape story is an allegory of the humiliation we feel when we don't get what we want or need. And we when we really want love, acknowledgement, praise, comfort, whatever it is, and we don't get it, some it's humiliating to not get it. So we tell ourselves we don't want it. That's not so special to us. And when we get it from other people, it reminds us often of what we never got. And so therefore, it's hard because, yeah, you're getting what you want. So you get the grapes, but you kind of remember, oh, the humiliation and shame of all the grapes you didn't have. So that is why it's hard to take in something good, because we don't want to feel that old humiliation. Um, Let's see, on Instagram also, Roxy's saying it's easier to take the negative when you're so low. Well, why is that? You know, and would you speak negatively to someone else who's so low? If someone that you love and care about is feeling low, do you then say mean things to that person? I don't know you, Roxy, but I'm going to guess no. I'm going to guess no. So often we treat other people the way we would want to have been treated, but we treat ourselves the way we were treated. Um, okay. Another question on Instagram. How can I forgive myself for something I did as a kid? I tell myself to release the feelings, but sometimes my mind spins and I don't like, I don't feel like I'm free from blaming myself. Okay. Well, often as adults, we, we cringe when we look back on things that we did as children because we're looking back as if as children we should have had the minds of adults children make mistakes children do stuff because they're kids and you know remember you did the best that you could given your circumstances at the time no matter what you did you have to give yourself some grace and realize that whatever it was, that was a result of where you were at that time in your life. And it doesn't mean something about you. And we also can't release feelings. We have to mourn, we have to go through a, a grieving period and mourn kind of the thing, the, the thing that we that that we did or how we feel about it, what happened and what didn't happen. So we can't release feelings any more than we can. We can't drop them. We can't positive think them away. We can't ignore them. We cannot stuff them down. So um, instead of blame, how about shift that to explain? Look at explaining. What were the circumstances when you did this thing that you find unforgivable? Would you find it unforgivable in someone else? If someone else had done it, what would you say to that person? And go through a a process of really um, getting in touch with what were the circumstances and how old were you and what, you know, why did you do it rather than what did you do? There's a reason we do things. Sometimes we just do stupid things because we're kids. 
Sometimes we do it because someone's done something to us and then we do it to someone else. There are so many different reasons. Sometimes we just, we're kids, right? So don't expect you, you yourself to have had the mind of an adult when you were a kid. Kids' minds are still growing very late, well into, you know, being a teenager. I have a 15-year-old daughter who cannot wake up in the weekend because her, why do, why do teenagers sleep in? Because their minds are, their brains are still developing, right? So give yourself some grace and talk to yourself as you would talk to anyone else who had done that thing, okay? And, and try to, try to shift from blame to explain. That will be healing. We can't let we can't release feelings because your feelings are really thoughts. You're thinking something. You're thinking something that is then causing a feeling, which is unbearable. And then maybe, you know, you know, when we feel terrible, we can't make ourselves feel bad and be nice to ourselves. Simultaneously, that doesn't work. Enter food. So I would say get more curious, be more of a detective of your own mind as a child and shift that blame to explain and think about what you'd say to anybody else who had done this thing that you find so mortifying. I hope that helps. Let me know. Okay, so one of the ways that we learn to speak to ourselves in a mean way is when we're spoken to that way. One of the women in in my binge-free babes, try saying that three times fast, or even twice fast, or even once fast, doesn't work. All right, one of the members of my binge-free babes uh, membership group realized that she has always thought that she was stupid. She has just had this baseline idea that she was stupid. And why? Because she was always told she was stupid. Her parents would say, ugh. I can't, and you're so, you're so, you're so dumb. Like, think, think, think. And she got the idea that she was stupid and that stuck. And now she realizes, oh, by the way, that was a narrative that was given to her and it was never true. She is far from stupid. She's amazing. And now she's starting to tap into her amazingness, even in her sixties, never too late to change. I'm glad that, I'm glad that helped. Ask me anything. Okay, another reason that we learn to speak in a cruel, mean way to ourselves is a lack of kind of a safe and um, a safe holding environment. It's ca- called in therapy world when life feels too unstructured. In those instances, when things are too loosey goosey, and it's like, oh, come home when you, whenever you want. I know you're 12 years old, but. Pfft, you know, stay up till midnight if you want. Or, oh, what are you doing? I'm not really paying attention. Or no one's asking you, are you doing your homework? Or no one's really there for you and with you. Life feels too loosey-goosey. And when that happens, it feels unsafe. Structure feels safe. That's why kids need some amount of rules and structure. It makes them feel safe. Not too much, but not too little. Because too little is scary. And when that happens, children create their own internal rules, which are often very harsh and very rigid. And it's not like you then grow up and go, oh, those were my rules from childhood, but they actually don't apply. Uh, They were just a result of things being too loose and unstructured. And my, no, no, says no one ever. People just grow up with this harsh inner critic that is in the driver's seat of their lives. So if you talk to yourself in the second person using that you pronoun, try saying the same words with the I pronoun. Now, the chances are that it's going to be really difficult to say these things to yourself. Like Aaron on Instagram was just saying, oh, it's really hard to, it just doesn't feel right, right? It feels more right to use you than to say I. Like you, but you wouldn't say, like, so try saying, I'm such an idiot. I'm never going to succeed. They don't like me. That's hard. That's harder. In fact, uh, you know, I had a patient who recently said that she looked in the mirror and she said to herself, you're disgusting. You're disgusting. So when I ask her to say, that from first person, 
pronoun, I'm disgusting, she couldn't do it. She said, oh, that sounds too harsh. I can't do that. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly the point. So changing the way we speak to ourselves can be incredibly powerful. My general rule is if you wouldn't say it to a friend, a child, or someone you love, do not say it to yourself. Do not say it to yourself. Okay, so once we become aware of our inner dialogue, once we recognize that it needs to change, you're being mean. Um, Reframing our thoughts can replace negativity with something more positive. So reframing involves changing language uh, when we're talking to ourselves and recognizing those sort of distorted, exaggerated, mean thoughts. So instead of telling yourself something like, well, I'm a complete failure. I'm so stupid. I'm a complete failure. After you make a mistake or you experience a setback or something, try telling yourself something like, you know what? This is not ideal. I am not loving this right now, but I can learn from this experience and I can try again tomorrow. I can do better next time. And I made a mistake because I am human. It doesn't mean anything about me, right? Just because you fail doesn't make you a failure. Big, big, big difference, right? So recognizing your strengths and your ability to learn, to grow, to bounce back from challenges, recognizing that, affirming that, noticing that is a great way to start building your confidence and your resilience for when things are difficult, which, you know, difficult times happen, as we all know from the past few years. But we have the ability to cope. And it's a lot easier to cope when you are taking your own side instead of when you are against yourself. All right. So now I want to talk about the five words that undermine your self-esteem. Language is powerful. Language can build you up. Language can pull you down. So these are five words that that are very important to, you know, I think, you know, go on a word diet. I don't believe in diets, but I believe in the word diet. All right. So again, consider how you talk to yourself. Do you say mean things to yourself that you would never say to a friend, a partner, a spouse, a child, anyone you care about? So if so, those words are affecting the way you feel and how you eat because the way we feel affects what we do, right? Thoughts and beliefs, words, create feelings, create behavior. You're mean to yourself. You're critical to yourself. You feel bad, really bad, terrible. And then you go eat just to escape your own mean voice and comfort yourself, distract yourself, whatever. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example of, of Tabitha, not, not her real name. So she went to a New Year's Eve party. And when it was time for cake, she said, oh, oh. That looks really good, but I shouldn't eat it. I should not eat that cake. I really shouldn't go anywhere near that cake because she was going to Hawaii a few days later. Tabitha has the life, right? Um, And she said there was no way she was going to get into a bikini if she still had, and then she poked at her stomach, if I still had this disgusting muffin top. All right. So she pokes at her stomach. She makes a face. She goes on to say that she she needs to to get to get more fit. Otherwise, her husband is going to leave her for some thinner, younger w- woman. And then she said, "You know, I lose weight. I gain it back. Well, you know, what if nothing ever changes? What if I am stuck like this for the rest of my life?" And she looked very discouraged. And then she said, "Well." Pff- I feel so bad now. I might as well have that cake. And she did. Apparently, she had two pieces. And afterwards, she was disgusted with herself. You can guess, yes, she was the one who looked in the mirror and said, you're disgusting. So she said, you know what? I had two pieces of that cake. It wasn't even that good. What is my problem? What is wrong with me? Why can't I be normal? So does any of this sound familiar? Have you said any 
thing like this to yourself ever or recently, or maybe even today? So basically, Tabitha sabotaged herself with words in five different ways. So here's the breakdown. First of all, the word should. The word should undermines your self-esteem. So how many times have you told yourself, I shouldn't have eaten that? I should be better at that. I, I should have more friends. I should be further along in my career, something along those lines. How many times have you said that to yourself? So there's a phrase, don't should on yourself. Love that. It's often used to remind us that harsh criticisms, judgments, and expectations from yourself or from others can be really damaging mentally and emotionally. You know, don't shit on yourself. Don't be so mean on yourself. Um, and it, it the phrase suggests we should focus on our dreams, our desires, our goals without comparing ourselves to the standards of others. And it encourages self-compassion, self-love, and acceptance for the person we are. Don't be mean to yourself is basically what it's saying. Um, so by rejecting the negative judgments of others and from ourselves, we can learn to accept ourselves and be kinder to ourselves. So the word should causes you to direct anxiety, sadness, anger, and distress towards yourself. These feelings are so powerful that then you're likely to cope by eating. Instead of I shouldn't do that or you shouldn't do that. Ask yourself, hey, what do I want? What am I feeling right now? What, what's going on with me right now? Um, Elena is saying at least 10 times a day, she speaks to herself this way. She hasn't realized how damaging it is. Oh, it is so damaging. Like what if a person was was following you around saying, Mm-mm-mm. I can't believe you did that. You shouldn't do that. Did you really eat that? You're not good enough. You know what? They don't really like you. Wouldn't you want to just turn around and like punch the person in the face? You'd want to make that person shut up. Or at the very least, I'm not advocating violence. Just like, you know, give them a big shove and say, get out of my life. Well, they need to, that, that person is your critical voice and it needs to get out of your head. Because when we talk to ourselves that way, we feel bad. When we feel bad, What's in the fridge? Okay. Um, when you're interested in your thoughts and feelings, instead of judgmental, then when you're curious, not critical, then you're going to find out some information. Then you're going to be more able to comfort yourself. So the other way that the other um, the other way that we sabotage our self esteem is by being a mean girl to ourselves or a mean guy. We often hurt ourselves by calling ourselves names, by being mean. When Tabitha referred to herself as disgusting, that was mean. Imagine saying to one of your, your friends, you know, you shouldn't eat that cake because you are so disgusting. And if you eat that cake, I'm going to be even more disgusted with you. Doesn't that sound so ludicrous and ridiculous? <laughs> Doesn't that sound crazy? Like, who would do that? It is highly unlikely that you would ever say such a thing to anybody else. But you may find it easy to say such mean things to yourself. Words are powerful. Words are very powerful. So when we say, as Tabitha did, what's wrong with me? What's my problem? Makes, makes us feel terrible. And when we feel bad, again, food provides reliably provides distraction or comfort. So we can get in a pattern of being mean, feeling bad, eating or binging, which then leads to being mean again, as in, oh my God, I can't believe I ate that. I'm so horrified with myself. And the cycle continues. So we stop the cycle by learning to soothe ourselves with words, by speaking kindly to ourselves and treating ourselves with dignity and respect. Um, Christy's saying, how about saying what's right with me? Love it. What Focusing on what's right with me. What, what do I like about me? Absolutely. 
Yes, we really need to, sh- we, like, we look at our friends with like, what's right? What, but what, look at all the great things you are. Don't focus on that negative thing. But what, what, when we focus on ourselves, it's often, you know, tunnel vision on the perceived bad thing or deficit perceived. And that's all we see. That's why our narrative is so important. Okay, so also, it is not just our words that are important, tone of voice also has a lot to do with it. So I I, I once asked members of my support group um, to say something supportive about themselves. And they each did it and they did it very grudgingly. This is not my Bintry Babes group. This is a group I had back in the day when I had an actual physical office, you know, three years ago. Um, And they all said things like this. They said to themselves, right? I'm going to, I'm going to demonstrate. And they said, like, you know, you're going to be okay. I'm fine the way I am. It's okay to feel upset. <laughs> right? So one is just totally flat. You're going to be okay. One is almost like a question. I'm fine the way I am. <laughs> and one is like, you know, pulling teeth. Mm, it's okay to feel upset. Okay. So there was nothing wrong with what they were saying. But there was a lot to be desired in terms of how they were saying it. They were not comforting. They were not soothing. They were not helpful. So this is what soothing sounds like. Same words, different tone. So instead of, you're going to be okay, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Instead of, I'm fine the way I am. I am fine the way I am. I am fine the way I am. Mm -hmm. And instead of, it's okay to feel upset. It's okay to feel upset. Of course, it's okay to feel upset. We all feel upset, right? You see the difference? Same words, totally, totally different. Totally different. Okay. Okay. I can't, I can't, I can't read all of a sudden. Um, I don't know where to start. One step forward, two steps back. Well, you know what? Speaking of steps, I I, I have to do some shameless self-promotion because I wrote this book for people like you, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps, Seven Steps to outsmart emotional eating. It is a deep dive into everything that I'm saying and more. I really highly recommend you get my book. Start there. Uh, I wrote it because I'd written other uh, academic and scholarly books and people would say to me, but you know, I'm listening to you on the radio. Um, uh, By the way, if you're on Instagram, this is also a radio show. I've just started live streaming it during the pandemic. Um, So the, the people would say to me, I'm listening to a radio show, but where can I read about this stuff? I, I, I can't find this. And so I wrote this book because I wanted everyone out there who is getting misinformation or narrow information or more surface information to really get a step-by-step guide, a roadmap into you know, what you need to do differently. And you can also, speaking of roadmap, you can go on my um you can, since you're on Instagram, go to my profile and get my free uh, binge buster roadmap. It is available now. Uh, if you're on the radio, you can go to my website, Dr. Nina Inc., and get my roadmap. Okay. So I think that is a good way for you to start. You know, and I want you to know there is hope. Hope is not, you, you, you can't stop. Uh, uh, you can't stop binging or emotionally eating if that's if you're focused on your behavior. You have to focus on what's driving that behavior. It's like you can't get rid of a weed if you just pluck it. You've got to get to the roots. You've got to get to the roots of of uh, you know that's underground in the dirt just like there're ideas that are hidden from us, we're in the dark about it but they're affecting our behavior. Um Marty's saying 95% of what she says to herself, she'd never say to someone else. You, 
yes, you are, you have patience, encouragement, trust, respect, and forgiveness for everyone but herself. Yes, you're shocked by this negative self-talk. Exactly. And uh, Elena or Elena, oh, oh, I, I think it's Elena. Um, you, you realize she says, I didn't know I've been shoving down my feelings and recognizing them and not feeling them until I started reading your book. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yay. Okay. Yes. So, and it's not just about re- like, uh, I'm going to get into how you're, fe- how to feel feelings next week, actually, because a lot of times people say things like, oh, I know I've got to feel my feelings, but I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to tell you how to do that because you don't sit in your feelings. You don't just sit through your feelings. That sounds horrible. Ew. You can't sit away your feelings any more than you can binge away your feelings. Okay, so when you, again, as I just demonstrated, a soothing tone is like a verbal hug. When when you talk to yourself the way you talk to others, you're going to feel a lot better. You're going to feel good. You're going to make yourself feel better with words. And when you feel better, you don't need food for comfort or distraction or to go numb or anything like that. All right, the the next one, what if versus what is? This is something to be this is something else that can undermine your your self-esteem. What if versus what is? So remember how Tabitha said, what if nothing ever changes? What if I'm stuck like this the rest of my life and that's when she went for cake, right? So what if is about fear. It is about the future. It is worrying that some kind of punishment, rejection, or deprivation, or some bad thing lies ahead. What if I go out with that guy and he turns out to be a jerk? What if I ask someone on a date and she rejects me? What if I ask for a raise and my boss gets mad or says no? What if I make a mistake and get fired? What if I'm making the wrong choice? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I never lose weight? What if I always am binging? What if... That kind of thinking makes us upset in the present about a future that is not here and may not even take place. And when you have here and now emotions about future events, guess what? You are more likely to eat. You have anxiety about something that hasn't happened yet, but the anxiety you have is real and it is happening. So in contrast, what is Instead of what if, what is, is reality. It's facts. So what if is fear, what is, is facts. And when you're grounded in what is actually happening, what you know to be true, you are less likely to feel anxious, worried, or upset. So fear. What are you worried about that has to do with an imagined future? Recognize that it's something, uh, it's fear about the future. And counter it with what is reality facts. What do you know right here, right now? Who are you right now, right here? What do you know to be true about yourself? How have you handled difficult situations in the past? Reminding yourself that even if that thing happens, you have the ability to to cope. You have the ability to get through. Remembering your strengths is so important. Remembering who you are, recognizing your capacity to to get through whatever life throws at you, that can lessen your anxiety because you know you got through difficult things in the past. You'll get through it in in the future. And right now, it's not happening. So be here and be now. All right, the next... All right, for some reason, someone is calling me. My God, did I lose you guys? Are you still there? Can you hear me? I hope so. All right. Hello? Okay. Uh, Instagram people, drop me like a a little heart or something if you can still hear me. I hope you can. Oh. All right. Yes. Okay. We're good. (laughs) Um, All right. So... The, the, the last word, the last word is normal, normal. The definition of normal means 
conforming to a standard of what's usual, typical, or expected. So to be honest, I have never in my life um, really ever met a so-called normal person. And I include myself in that. Um, There is such a wide range of what is typical because it is based on where you live, the culture of your family, your neighborhood, your environment. So if you've got, you know, full sleeve tattoos, you are not going to be normal in certain suburban neighborhoods. But if you live in a downtown loft where everyone has tattoos, it's weird not to have tattoos, then you are so normal. So what's normal? And when you say, well, I'm not normal or that's not normal, you're putting yourself down. You're saying there's something wrong with you. When Tabitha said, hey, why can't I be normal about food? What was she really communicating? So on the surface, she was wondering why she couldn't just be like everyone else who doesn't worry about cake. But I think on another level, what she really wanted to know was, why does cake have such a hold over me? Why am I so focused on cake? And there are a lot of possible answers to those questions. Maybe Tabitha felt deprived in her life. Maybe she needed more sweetness in her life. Maybe she was empty and cake, which is sort of filling, symbolically fill a void. Maybe it was easier to focus on problems with cake than on problems in her marriage. The point is, there's an underlying reason, several reasons that she was focused on cake. And she needed to have a better understanding of those reasons instead of berating herself for eating cake. If you are turning to food, you are turning away from something else. When you ask yourself questions, you're more likely to come up with the answers. Our minds want to fill in the blanks. That's why it's important to stay curious, not critical. Sheila is saying, I feel abnormal not having kids and being signal, single. I know I'm not alone at all, but I feel the pressure that being a mom slash wife are most important in society. Well, where did you, where did you get that message? You know, because there, there, are, there are other people who say, you know what? There are, I know people who have chosen not to have kids for different reasons. And they say, hey, you know what? We, we, there are enough kids on this planet. I don't want to add I don't, I don't want to add more kids to this planet. I don't need to pass on my genetics. Um, or people who say, you know what? I don't, I don't really want to have that life. I want to pick up and travel with my partner or, you know, or whatever. I want to just enjoy my life. I don't want to have that kind of wife-mother situation. So, you know, there are many people who say, well, this is how you're supposed to be. And there are a lot of other people who say, no, I I think I want to live life on my terms. Or people who say, you know what, that time has passed me by. Or people who say, you know, I'd never had um, biological children, but you know what, maybe I want to adopt or foster a child. Like there are so many different ways that people um, decide to, to live their lives, whether it's with children or not with children. But to put a value on it, like like that you are not a, a, an important member of society because you haven't had kids, I would really challenge that notion. That is some 20th century thinking. So who gave you that idea? Maybe some 19th century t- thinking, actually, now that, I, now that I think about it. But challenge the idea that that is your purpose in life. No, that sounds very traditional. Who gave you that traditional idea? And I understand that we live in a society that kind of promotes that. I think it depends on where you live as well. But I would challenge that. Yeah, yeah, my family puts value on it, but they aren't beacons of love and truth. I sense understatement in that. Okay, Sheila, so, so recognize that, that, you know, you made your decision or you've come to this place in your life for a reason and validate it rather than question yourself because you are not a role to somebody else. You are yourself. Don't minimize yourself as a, as a valuable person because you're not a wife or a mother. Those are your roles to someone else. 
you get to be yourself and live life on your own terms. Um, okay, so when we, I often say, be curious, not critical. Why? Because when we are curious, our minds want to fill in the blanks. Our minds want to give us answers. That's why it's so important to be to, to be curious and be to, compassionate. Um, when you, you're like, hmm, why do I want it? Why, why am I heading for the kitchen? Oh, you know, maybe it's the food mood formula Dr. Nina talks about in her, in her book. Let me look at that, right? You know, what's that about? What's eating at me? What's going on with me? You're more likely to find answers than if you say, oh, I can't believe I ate that. What's wrong with me? The idea is to be compassionate and curious. You'll get to understand yourself better. You'll get to respond to yourself better. You'll get to feel good because when you nourish and nurture yourself with words, you stop using food as a substitute for that kind of nurturing and nourishment. It's easy to get caught up in the power of words, both those spoken to us and those you know spoken by us to ourselves. But as you can see, there are ways that you can protect yourself against being so critical, being so judgmental, being so harsh. By noticing your inner dialogue, by reframing your thoughts, and by practicing self-care, right? You can guard you can guard against that inner critic. So speaking with mindful intention allows you to stay focused in reality and what is and recognizing where this voice and the present comes from, where did you learn this way of relating to yourself? You can heal. Um, so by turning your inner critic into a friend, that is truly, truly, truly the key to creating that binge-free happy life. Or if you're listening and you're saying, well, I don't binge eat, but I emotionally eat, well, same thing. By changing the way you respond to yourself, you change everything. And by the way, it also has implications with relationships. When you're mean to yourself and you're judgmental and you're woulda, shoulda, couldaing you and you're you're disgusting to yourself and all the things, and someone comes along who's judgmental and critical and rude you know what? You're going to say, oh, well, this is familiar. You know me well. Let's be together. And you're going to tolerate people you must not tolerate. But you're doing it because if you're mean to yourself and someone is mean to you, or if you're, if, let's even use a more benign example. If you if, if you don't care about yourself and you don't show yourself like, that you're important and someone comes along and they're there and they're perfectly nice, but they don't really show you that you're important and valuable to them. You're going to stick with that person, whether it's a friend or, or a partner, much longer than you should, which is like, like, oh, there I use, there's the word to, there's the only way that you use the word should, you know, don't allow yourself to be, be treated badly. Then if you when but when you are nice to yourself and you are kind and you uplift yourself and someone comes along and they're kind of indifferent to you and they don't really make you a priority, you're going to say, no, thank you. I value myself better and I'm going to be with someone who treats me the way I treat me, which is kindly and lovingly and supportively. Right? Words are powerful. So words have the power to tear us down. Words have the power power to lift us up. Words have the power to make us feel bad, in which case food is a way of getting away from that bad feeling and away from that critical voice. And words have the power to soothe, to comfort, to respond, to help us be with ourselves in a new way. And when you have that, you don't need food to cope. Food becomes breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks, and it becomes one of the pleasures of life, which it should be. Which when you're struggling with binge eating, you know, sounds like I'm speaking Turkish or something, but it is possible. It is possible. So thank you so much for, for tuning in. That is the show for today. I am Dr. Nina Sabel Rockland, psychoanalyst, here to help you create a binge-free happy life. 
and for a deeper dive into this topic and many, many others, be sure to get my book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. It is available on in on every format, in every format, uh, on Amazon, including the audiobook, which I read to you. If you want me to read it to you, I can. Okay, so stay curious, not critical. I'll see you next week. We're going to talk about how to feel feelings. Bye for now. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of Dream Vision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. The Dr. Nina Show is now on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network every Tuesday, 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern Time. From the healing heart of Dr. Nina Sabelle Rockland comes a message of hope for people struggling with binge eating. She helps listeners break free from emotional eating by identifying the hidden triggers to binging and provides a path for healing without dieting or focusing on food. As she puts it, it's not what you're eating that's the real problem. It's what's eating at you. Be sure to tune in for diet-free strategies on how to outsmart emotional eating so you can stop thinking about food and start living your best and most happy life. Thank you for joining the Dr. Nina Show, heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Join Dr. Nina next time for more diet-free strategies on how to outsmart emotional eating so you can stop thinking about food and start living your best and most happy life. Find out more about Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland at drninainc.com. That's D-R-N-I-N-A-I-N-C.com. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.